We're closing out starter pack here, getting ready for baptism next week. We have talked about reading scripture, studying it, meditating on it. We've talked about prayer. We've even talked about fasting. And if you peeked ahead in that starter pack book, then you know we're talking about inviting this week. And that's a simple way of saying that your faith in Jesus is not just for you, that the story of what God's doing in your life is supposed to overflow out of you into the lives of the people around you. And so today, my hope is that that would be something that empowers you rather than guilts you, to invite somebody, to share your faith with somebody that you would feel empowered and moved and motivated, knowing that the story of Jesus in your life has power for people around you. I, I know that we all would say, yeah, I know I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus and invite people to church and all that, but it's intimidating. We don't always do it. It can, when you play it out practically, seem uncomfortable, can feel some tension, some awkwardness, and today my hope is to remove obligation when it comes to the invitation and ignite motivation by reminding us of what the invitation actually says. And I want us to have the same spirit as Will Ferrell in Wedding Crashers when he famously says, you're coming with. There he is. And while I cannot in good conscience condone the context of this invitation <laughs> between this character Chaz to John to come crash a funeral with him to meet women, I do love the inviting spirit of a guy who just says, you're coming with. Where I'm going, you're coming with. And now that I've plastered that on the screens for you this week, when you're talking to a coworker or a friend or a family member, your neighbor, and you're like, yeah, 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 we talked to church about inviting people and it's uncomfortable, you're gonna get a boost from Will Ferrell just going, hey, you're coming with. And you're gonna say that to somebody else. And the challenge, the practical challenge is to invite people to come next week to baptism, but I wanna be clear about something. Uh, we're not challenging you to invite people to baptism for the sake of filling a room for Red Rocks Church. If you've been around here a little bit, you know that we're about building the kingdom of God, and Red Rocks Church happens to be the avenue through which we are doing this as a family, but this is not trying to get a certain amount of people in a room. We don't get bonuses if 800 people come to baptism. It doesn't work like that. I can say with integrity that we want you to invite people. I wanna see this room packed next week and every week because I want more people to meet Jesus. That's what I want. Revelation 12 says that there are two things that overcome the work of the enemy, that the death and the pain, the sin, the shame of this life, two things overcome that, the blood of the lamb and our testimony. Simply put, it is Jesus and his grace alone and us telling the story that overcomes the darkness in the lives of the people around us. And on a baptism Sunday at this church, that happens because we will all be in here cheering and celebrating and crying and laughing and we will hear stories from bold, courageous, brave, transparent people who on these screens will be telling us about their life. I once was lost and now I'm found. I was in darkness and I saw this light that is Jesus and it has changed everything for me. Prodigal sons and daughters who have come home. People proclaiming publicly, Jesus is Lord and my life is centered on that. That's what this is all about and I'll, I'll get in the pool to proclaim that. And I believe because of those stories, the testimonies told and because the grace of Jesus is always here, that darkness will be overcome in the lives of people who show up, that other people will meet Jesus through these stories. And so hear me, inviting people to church is so much bigger than inviting them to church. And church happens to be like the easiest avenue generally to start that conversation with somebody or to try to introduce Jesus and faith into their life because a bunch of people 
come together on a Sunday and set the table for Jesus to move. That's all that we're doing here. A sermon, worship, coffee, greeting, all of it to set the table for people to encounter Jesus in their life. We're not inviting them to a religion. We're not inviting them to some fancy show or some self-help class. If people experience, if we just heap more religion onto people, they'll just walk right away. And if they come, they just see a cool show, then they'll just walk out unchanged. But if they experience Jesus, everything will change, and they will walk with him. And that's what I wanna see happen. I have a friend who's been struggling because he wants his dad so desperately to know Jesus and know that he's loved by Jesus, that Jesus died for him and rose from the grave to give him new life, and his dad has all the reasons to not want anything to do with that. He's got religious baggage, he's got pain in his life that merits being angry at a God that he thinks may or may not be out there. And he's like, I don't quite know what to do or say, and all I could tell him was, hey, I don't think it's gonna be an apologetics debate or some proof. I think it's gonna be your dad experiencing Jesus in his life, and it seems to me that maybe the avenue that's gonna happen right now is through your story, is you just being you and letting Jesus work in your life as you are and you just being bold to proclaim that to your dad. And so today, as we challenge you to invite people and we talk about this, I wanna get to the true meaning behind the invitation. Because it all sounds good, what I just said, right? Let's introduce people to Jesus, but I don't invite everybody I know to church and I work at it. (laughs) I don't tell everybody I know about Jesus. And it can feel tense, it can feel awkward, or like we're kind of obstructing their life if we bring him up. And it can be simple stuff, you know, like you're gonna show up to church with your friend who's never been here and they may not like the coffee and the music might be too loud for them, right? Or they'll be in the lobby talking to people and they might talk to some of those Christians who only speak Christianese and can't talk to normal people anymore as they're just floating slowly into the clouds, right? What is my friend gonna think of them? And then they're gonna walk into worship and everybody's got their arms up like this, like they're trying to hug this guy who was on earth 2,000 years ago that we're singing about. They're gonna think that's weird. And the last time I invited my friend to church, Doug talked about porn, so I'm not gonna do that again. (laughs) Maybe it's best that I just leave my friends alone, keep my faith kind of a private thing, right? And then there are some people who boldly push through and in the lobby before services sometimes, somebody will come up that I know and they'll be with somebody I don't know. Hey, this is Mike. He's my coworker. This is his first time here. (laughs) Kind of like, you work here, guy. Say something, make him feel comfortable. But I unfortunately say stupid things. I'm like, well, Mike, first of all, you're brave for being friends with this guy and you're brave brave for showing up to this, uh, this church. And the guy, the friend is looking at me like, why would you say that? Now he's more uncomfortable. And people, some of you guys do this. You'll make the introduction, and then as you're like casually leaving, you'll go, hey, by the way, who's preaching today? Which I really don't know how to take that. <laughs> I'm like, do you have to like prep your friend for what's coming? I get, I'm guessing you're hoping it's not me because I'm gonna say something that's gonna offend your friend that just showed up to church for the first time. Who's preaching today? Stop asking me that. And they're my friends too, so if I say me and you're like, oh good, it's like, oh you just dissed my two best friends, or if I say one of them and you're like, oh thank God, then obviously my confidence is gonna get even lower, so. But we have doubt when it comes to inviting people, right? I think there's three main types of doubt. We have self-doubt. Well, I don't have all the answers to their questions at lunch after church. I'm not gonna be able to explain this whole God thing to them, and they know me, so they know that I'm not the most shining example of a Christian. 
My life's a little bit of a mess, and they're my coworker, or they're my neighbor, they're my friend, so they kind of know that. And I'm afraid I'm just gonna screw the whole thing up, so maybe it's better I just don't say anything. Like, their salvation's on my shoulders, right? We, we tend to think that, self-doubt. And then for a lot of the things I just said, some jokes, but some reality, we have church doubt. What am I getting them into? What is my friend gonna think of a bunch of imperfect people pursuing a perfect God who are really imperfect? And pastors who don't know everything, don't have all the answers. And people are gonna be people, and I invite them into this, but what, the church is a little bit of a mess. And Jesus seemed to be comfortable with the reality that his church would not be perfect, but I'm not generally comfortable with that. And so what am I inviting my friend into? And the third place of doubt is God doubt, if we dig deeper. God, I don't really totally understand you, and you tend to not do things the way that I would like for you to do things. So what are you gonna do in my friend's life? Are they gonna walk back out of church as if nothing ever happened? Are they gonna have this life-changing experience and they can't deny it and their faith is sparked? You're gonna make it easy on me? Are we gonna have months of tough conversations? What's this gonna look like? God, I can't predict exactly what you'll do. Self-doubt, church doubt, God doubt, for whatever reason, most of us just decide better to not say anything. But when we push through and we find that courage, and we remember the meaning behind an invitation, the stories of God are written. And so I wanna illustrate that here for a second in this room with some audience participation. If you're in this place today, and you are literally at this service right now because somebody else invited you, like you would not be here had they not invited you, would you stand up real quick? Be bold. You're at this service. Stay standing, stay standing. Welcome, we're so glad you're here. We normally don't make people stay standing and have the whole room look at them for a long time, but today's a special day for you. But welcome to Red Rocks Church. We are so glad that you're here. Stay standing. <laughs> Next group, maybe not this week, but in the past weeks, months, or years, you showed up to this place because somebody else invited you. Stand up. And by the way, if you found us on Instagram or YouTube or Facebook, you have to stand up too because that means our media team invited you. Okay? And the last group, maybe not Red Rocks Church. Maybe you found this place, you were on your church journey, but your faith in Jesus sparked because somebody else invited you to a service or a camp or a conference or coffee or some conversation, somebody invited you and your faith sparked because of that invitation. Stand up if that's you. Last couple people. And the, those of you that are still sitting were born in the church, so you just, <laughs> you guys didn't have a choice. Look around right now. Almost everyone in this room is standing. This is the power of the invitation, and this is not a mass of people. These are individual lives. These are stories. Every single one of you has a story. There are people standing right now who were hurting, who found healing. There are people standing right now who are hurting, and you're going to find healing. I believe that. There are people standing right now who were lost and alone, and, and then Jesus, and everything changed. There are people standing, there are prodigal sons and daughters that came home because somebody else invited them, and their father threw a party. This is evidence of the power of the invitation. All 
of these stories, salvation and life change, impact. And I have no idea all of them, but I know next week we're gonna tell some of them the power of the invitation. And as you're standing, especially those of you who maybe are here for the first time or maybe you're new to this Jesus thing or you're not sure what you think about this Jesus thing, I just wanna tell you what your friend was saying when they invited you. Whether it was 15 years ago or it was today, it may have sounded like, hey, you should come to church with me sometime. What they were saying was, hey, I love you. I care about you enough to be that friend. I'll put myself out there and risk that you may reject me. You may not like me anymore. You may be mad at me. You may laugh at me and mock me. But I care about you enough to know that you're not just another person. You are a soul, a human being created by your heavenly father and he loves you so much and I love you enough to invite you to meet him because I want you to know that the, the sin and the shame and the pain that you feel in your life right now, I don't want that for you and neither does he and that's why he sent his son for you personally and he rose from the grave because he has eternal life for you. He wants to spend eternity with you and he loves you and I love you. So you know what? You're coming with. That's what somebody said to you. You guys can take a seat. For the rest of this time, I just wanna to continue to illustrate to you the beauty of the invitation. Through a story in the Gospel of John, John was Jesus' best friend, just ask him, he'll tell you. And he traveled with Jesus and saw Jesus in action and watched this whole thing unfold and recorded it. And in John chapter one, we get the story where Jesus is starting his ministry. He's starting to invite people with him and Jesus was so cool that he could just walk up and go, follow me, and people would be like, okay. Just start walking with him right there. Just step in step. Do not do that. You're not Jesus. It won't work like that. If you're in downtown Austin and you just tell someone to start following you and you just start walking down the street, they're like, yeah, I'd rather not get murdered. Thanks. I'm going to continue living my life. But Jesus in this story starts getting some people to follow him. And these two guys we meet in the story, Philip and Nathaniel, are going to speak powerfully to us today about the power of the invitation. So John chapter one, verse 43, we start. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there, Nathanael asked? Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Simple story, and it reads funny to me. This is how I've always read this story. Philip's just like standing by a lake or something, and Jesus just walks up and goes, hey, follow me. And Philip's like, okay but I'm gonna go get my buddy. 
So he runs off and Jesus is left standing there like, I wonder if I should have introduced myself. It will be fun. <laughs> Philip goes and finds Nathaniel and he's like, we found him, the Messiah. And Nathaniel's like, oh yeah, the guy that our people have been talking about awaiting for centuries and centuries, you, Philip, you met him? Of course. Oh, he's from Nazareth. Yeah, nothing good comes from there, for sure. But Philip's convincing enough that he's like, just come on, come and see. So then they walk up and Jesus is like, ah, yes, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel's thinking, that's a weird way to greet someone. How do you know me? Jesus says, I saw you sitting under that tree the other day. And then Nathaniel thinks, well, surely then you're the son of God. And then they just walk into three years of ministry together. <laughs> Odd story if you think about it. But I think it's because that's kind of how we read scripture most of the time. It's like, okay, cool, cool, Jesus made some friends. Let's get to the water to wine thing. I love that story. And we forget that these are people that have backstories and there's dynamic and there's relationship. There's so much going on here in these little spark notes that we get. So I wanna bring this to life for you. I have shamelessly plugged a TV show called The Chosen up here multiple times. And I am the last guy normally to ever plug a Christian movie or Christian TV show. And I'm sorry if that offends you. I personally feel like Christian Hollywood has made it very difficult on us to invite people to meet Jesus through media. However, this show is brilliant and creative and captivating and they've done their homework, and, and it is so excellent in the way they tell this story of Jesus and his disciples, and I love it. And they made an episode about this story, so I was so excited because I love this story, and I've also been curious to know, like, why was Nathaniel so taken aback by that, and what the heck was going on here? And they bring it to life in a really cool way, and so I reached out to the chosen, and I said, hey, would it be cool if I showed some clips in my church sermon from your show? And they said yes. So we're gonna do that. Yes, we're very connected, very cool. <laughs> Actually, I sent them a DM on Instagram from the Red Rocks Austin account and asked, and they just replied, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Red Rocks Austin, never heard of it. Good luck, doesn't matter. Do what you want, guy. So we're gonna bring it to life through the, a couple clips from this episode. And I have two disclaimers before we start. First, if I get in trouble for this, I asked and whoever runs the Instagram account there said I could. So you're in this with me. And number two, this show has never claimed to be telling you exactly what happened. We can't know for sure, right? This is a creative depiction of this story with all the research they can do, but don't get caught in the weeds here and be like, well, we don't know for sure. See the beauty of the invitation and the power of Jesus through this, okay? So let me set the scene. We've just met Philip and Nathaniel. They're good friends or good enough friends that one of them can go to the other and be like, hey, let's leave our lives behind and go just follow this random guy I just met. And we know that Nathaniel is sitting under a fig tree at some point before this. And the fact that Jesus saw him means something. The creative backstory they give Philip in this episode is that he was kind of like an architect working on this temple project and the whole thing literally fell apart and now his whole life has. He's lost his job. He feels like he's forgotten, he has no purpose, and he, we find him depressed at his lowest moment, alone, sitting under a fig tree.
Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Lord our God. King of the universe. Here is Raya. The Lord is one God. The Lord is one. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. Do not hide your face from me. Do you see me? Do you see me? Okay, so we met this guy, Nathaniel, and now we have a little different context to the story. As he's trying to pray, he's trying to cry out to God, and he feels so desperate and alone, and I know that the, the sermon right now, I'm speaking to us as the Philip in this story who we haven't met yet. The, we're the inviters, right? We're going to share. We're going to get Nathaniel. But I also know that there's some people in this room right now, and you are much more in that place. Inviting somebody or sharing faith, you don't even know if you believe any of this. You feel like God's abandoned you. You feel alone and rejected and depressed and low. And I just want to tell you there is some beauty coming for you in this story. But to the Philips in this room... What this says to me is that we have no idea what the people in our lives are going through. You may have an idea that your coworker is struggling right now or seems a little off. You may kind of know your neighbors are going through something or your cousins had a couple rough years, but we really have no idea what's actually happening in the depths of somebody's life. And I think I'm gonna give you three keys to the invitation, and the first one is that we've gotta care deeply about people before we invite before we share our faith, we gotta care deeply about somebody. Theodore Roosevelt said, people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think when you care about somebody, then all of a sudden you're not inviting them out of religious duty or obligation, you're inviting because you know that they need Jesus. You have empathy, you have compassion, you're willing to sit with somebody in their dark place or, or to know that they're there. See, I care enough about you. So we gotta care deeply, and for some of us, the takeaway this week is simply to pray, God, help me to care about people again. In the world we live in, the time we're in, people can feel just like problems in the way. We forget what we saw when we all stood up, that everyone is a story, there's a backstory here. And the people in your life are anxious and depressed, they feel alone, they feel forgotten, they feel like God, if he's real, has abandoned them, that there's no hope for them, and we gotta care deeply about that. 
to know that metaphorically, people in our lives are sitting under fig trees somewhere, and they're crying out for something, anything. And we find our courage from Philip, the friend who cares deeply. As we'll see in this next clip, a guy who cares enough about his friend to go be that friend and to invite him to meet Jesus. I thought that I knew where God was putting me to. Yeah. So what are you doing? <laughs> I thought you were out making enemies all over the place. I'm about to make a whole lot more enemies all over the place. John sent me to someone new. You sure know how to pick him. He's not just anyone. That's what you said about the baptizer. And I was right. But this is... More. Mm. This is who the baptizer has been preparing us for. Mm. Nathaniel. He's the one. The one? The one who Moses foretold and the prophet said would come. The one? The one. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth. <laughs> oh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. Oh, <laughs> little dump on a craggy hilltop. I'm serious. No paved roads, no public buildings. <laughs> they barely have a synagogue. You can't. You really can't. Hey, I'm just telling it like it is. Why can't I do that? Because you're mean. The families. Illiterate day laborers and peasants, by the way, sleep under the same roof as their livestock. Listen to me. Honestly, Philip, saying the one is a Nazarene is practically heresy. Just come and see. I... What? You gonna be late for work? Wow. That's dark. <laughs> so dark. Your whole life, you've wanted to serve God, to meet the Son of God, the King of Israel. I promise you will not regret it. And if you do, I'll refund your misery. But I know you. You don't mess around. You will want to join him. He's like no rabbi who ever has been or will be. I've never seen you talk like this. I'm still hung up on the Nazareth of it all. <laughs> Come and see. I love this scene because it depicts friends, right? Relationship, they're joking with each other. They're real people. And Philip's willing to sit there with Nathaniel in his pain in this low point in his life and just keeps telling him, come and see, come and see. Nathaniel's got some prejudice about Nazareth. He's got some doubts, some preconceived notions about this Jesus guy, like all of our friends do. The preconceived notions just happen to normally be wrong about who he really is. And what I see in Philip is the second key to the invitation is that you gotta invite confidently. 
because of who you're inviting them to meet. I feel like so often our invitations to people in our lives are like so apologetic. Hey, I'm so sorry to tell you this. I, I honestly hate to do it. But God loves you. The creator of the universe made you, and he knows you by name. And he has a reason that you're here. There's a purpose for your life, and he has gifted you and put passions in you. You're not insignificant. You're not forgotten. You're not meaningless. You're not an accident, but, but God gave you life. And that sin and that shame in your life that you feel like just marked you, that's just holding you, he doesn't want that for you. That's why he sent his son to die for you as a sacrifice for that, because he wants to spend eternity with you. He walked out of a tomb to make that clear. I'm so sorry to tell you that. <laughs> but we're so afraid to offend anybody with the best news that they could ever hear. John Mark Homer in his book, Live No Lies, says, Jesus and the writers of scripture also recognize that the claim to have knowledge of reality does not imply arrogance or lead down the path to tyranny contrary to popular opinion. He says, I just got out of an Uber where my driver, a lapsed Christian, launched into a 10-minute diatribe on how he doesn't know what to believe anymore, ending with a sermonic appeal, who am I to tell somebody else that Jesus is the son of God? As if I'm right and others were wrong. I would never wanna force my view on others. He says, on one hand, I share his reticence to enforce a view of reality on other people. On the other hand, Nobody would ever apply that logic to an idea that was considered a form of knowledge. No one would ever say, who am I to tell someone else the earth is round, or that five plus five equals 10, or that smoking is bad for your health? We actually have no problem telling people we love when we think they're wrong because we trust it will contribute to their happiness. I was on the other side of the world with some guys and with this ministry that is all about introducing people, saying you're coming with to people groups that have never heard the name Jesus before, don't have Bibles, don't have churches. If somebody doesn't go, they don't hear. And they're not in it for statistics. They're not trying to win the war of religions and get somebody onto their team. They just want people to meet Jesus because he's their savior and their hope. And as we were taking this all in, one of my buddies said so profoundly and convictingly, it feels like if we know Jesus, then it's cruel not to tell somebody else about him. And I don't want there to be burden and guilt in this place today, but I do believe there's some good conviction when we remember what the news that we have to share with people who desperately need it and want it, they may just not know that or express it, but we feel like we're just infringing on them, getting in their space with the best news of their salvation and their eternity. And there's some people in this church, a lot of you were standing up because of people like Summer Kennedy, people like BJ, People that don't really have fear when it comes to telling somebody else, hey, you should come to church with me. And I think it's because they've realized this isn't really about me. The pressure's not really on me. I'm just getting you to meet Jesus. He does the heavy lifting, but I care about you enough to be that friend. I care about you enough to get in your face a little bit, and I'm confident to invite you because I've got an awesome family, and all we do is get together so that we can know Jesus more and more and let him work in our lives. And so, heck yeah, I'll invite you. You're coming with. You're coming with and have stories to tell of the evidence of Jesus in their lives and will do it boldly and because of that, more and more people come to meet Jesus. And it's people like Summer, it's people like Philip in this story that give us, I hope, more confidence and then we get to watch what happens in this last clip 
when Nathaniel comes and he meets Jesus. Rabbi. Well, this is a good night. You know who stands beside you there? This is my friend, Nathaniel. Yes, the truth teller. I'm sorry? Man is often deceitful. And Israel began with Jacob, a bit of a deceiver, yes? Yes. But one of the great things about you is you are a true Israelite and whom there is no deceit. What did you say about me? What is this? How do you know me? I have known you long before Philip called you to come and see. Don't look at him, look at me. When you were in your lowest moment, and you were alone, I did not turn my face from you. I saw you under the fig tree. I knew it. Well, that didn't take long. <laughs> he doesn't mess around. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? <laughs> <laughs> you are going to see many greater things than that. Like Jacob, you are going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I got that. Good. I know you like to be clear. Man, to those of you in here who feel like Nathaniel in your life right now, he sees you. He has seen you in your lowest moments. He has not left you. He cares about you, he loves you. And I hope that maybe just seeing a picture of that will speak to your life, that Jesus would do the exact same thing, put his hand on you and say, I see you, I care about you, you're coming with. And I love Philip standing there, that's us, kind of like, well, I got you here. Do your thing, Jesus. Celebrating, excited, kind of like, well, now all I can do is pray. Now I just trust you. And I'm not just gonna keep I'm just gonna keep loving them and caring about them. And and I know that not all of us will have like that exact moment with our friend where they're just like, got it. All right, you're Jesus, let's go. I'm in. And so that's where the third key comes in. So we we care deeply, we invite confidently, and then we just pray boldly. You know what, God, they may not be asking for this, but I'm asking for it. Save them. Grab hold of them. 
Tell them that you see them. And what I love about Jesus is that he will speak uniquely to you in a way that you can try to brush it off for a little while, but ultimately be like, I can't deny this. You're reaching to me. You saw me under that fig tree. You care about me, every detail of my life to that extent. And he will do that in the lives of our friends. It's just our job to get him a chance to meet him, to set the table. And I wanna close with one last story. My grandpa's one of those people that will talk about Jesus as comfortably as I'll talk about fantasy football. And he has a ton of stories from his life of just introducing people to Jesus and saying, hey, you're coming with. And one of them I love is about his friend Milt. So Milt uh, has been a family friend for a long time. But the story started that my grandpa and Milt worked together. And my grandpa came to realize this guy's been fed a lot of religion in his life, but he's never really had a chance to meet Jesus and have a relationship with him. And he cared deeply about Milt. And so he was praying one morning and just felt like God prompted him in that prayer and just said, hey, today's the day, go get Milt. So he got in his car and he drove to Milt's house. Milt's wife, Susan, answered the door. And my grandpa just went for it. He just said, hey, I was praying this morning. This might sound crazy, but I just want you to know that God loves you guys. And I felt like I was supposed to come over here and tell you that Jesus wants a relationship with you. I wanna invite you to the kingdom of God. I'm here to pray with you if you're down. She probably didn't say that, but she just right there on the spot was like, okay, I want that. Been wanting that. So she prayed with him, receives Jesus. Amazing moment. Then she says, hey, well, Milt's not here. He's getting his hair cut. So my grandpa drives to the barbershop. And Milt's coming out and he says, hey, um, Milt, I love you. I care about you. And I want you to know that Jesus loves you and he cares about you and he sent me here um, to invite you to the kingdom of God. Milt starts crying on the spot. It's like his soul was waiting for that moment and he just prayed right there. Scripture says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, that you'll be saved. And right there, Milt just said, I need it, I want it, let's go. My grandpa just said, you're coming with. So we talked about that story and then we launched into, he just started telling other stories about coworkers and people that, man, this was so cool, this one moment, and I had a chance to have lunch with this guy and tell him this story. And, and by the end of it, I think that's just what happens when you start just inviting people confidently, you see Jesus work, then that just becomes the rhythm of your life and the most natural thing you do. And by the end of it, I was like, Grandpa, thank you for telling me these stories. It's so inspiring. I, I just admire the boldness of your faith. And he just said, you know what? It's simple. It's just what we do. And I want to be a church that's just like that. This is simple. It's just what we do. We just care deeply about people. So we'll invite them confidently to meet Jesus. And we'll pray boldly along the way on their journey and get to watch Jesus at work. So would you guys stand to your feet? We're going to worship and as we are worshiping, I just wanna challenge you to think of people in your life. Picture some people to invite to baptism next week, to invite to coffee with you. And there's gonna be some people that come into your mind and you're like, I didn't think that, I didn't think them. No, 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 get out. Jesus will illuminate the people to you and he will give you the words. He will align the moment that you get to step into and it will be your care for them that speaks so that they will hear you when you invite confidently. And I wanna pray boldly together right now for those people in our lives. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you for amazing creative people who have helped bring it to life for us. I pray for the Nathaniels in this room right now, people that feel so alone and broken and depressed that are questioning if life's even worth living. Jesus, would you encounter and meet them today? 
I know that you care, Jesus. I know that you're here. Would you reveal your presence in their lives and tell them I see you. And we pray for all of our friends and our family members and our neighbors and our coworkers, people who are sitting under metaphorical fig trees somewhere, crying out, desperate, Jesus, would you embolden us to be the people who invite? Because that's just what we do. To be a church of people who just says, Austin, you're coming with. And I pray for people that will be here next week and hear stories of your work, your amazing transformative grace, that darkness would be overcome, that people would meet you in this place. And we thank you that we get to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.